0: The Daily Rios Digest, Volume 3, Saturday, October 28th, 2023. everyone, this is your host, Peter, with the 17th digest of this third volume, covering Monday, October 23rd through Friday, October 27th, 2023. Today is October 23rd. That means Scorpio season has begun. You've been warned. What do you seem to understand? I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. It's impossible through words to describe what is necessary to those who do not know what horror means. Horror Horror has a face, and you must make a friend of horror. Horror and moral terror are your friends. If they are not, then they are enemies to be feared. They are truly enemies. I'm done, I am done apologizing, I am done being persecuted for my strength. You people should be thanking Christ that I am who and what I am because you need me. You need me to save you, you do. I am the only one who possibly can. You're not the real heroes. I'm the real hero. I'm the real hero. Time to walk down Danger Street once again. This is Danger Street Part 6, taking a look at Issue 6 by King, Fornes, Stewart, and Cowles. We are now halfway through the Danger Street series uh, here on the De La Rios Digest. I have now read up to Issue 10. So these notes, these thoughts are now, even though this is issue number six that I'm going to talk about here, I'm processing them all the way through. First, I was processing them through all the way up to issue eight. Well, now I've read up to issue number 10 as I'm recording this segment. Issue 11 is, will ship in November, and uh, issue 12 will ship in December. Um, by the way, issue 10 is a fantastic Fantastic issue. So, if there's anything that happens in issue 11, again, don't let me know. But maybe, you know, some of the stuff that I talk about here might contradict issue 11. I'm assuming issue 11 will be pretty big as well as issue 12. Um, I do have to say, even though I've read up to issue 10, a lot of my thoughts haven't changed. Uh, nothing has been necessarily cemented, but nothing has been totally contradicted just yet. All right, so issue number six of Danger Street. How great is it that this issue is the Dingbats of Danger Street chapter? They were introduced in first issue special number six, and here we are in the middle of the series. All right, here is your synopsis. As the Helmet of Fate continues the story, the mystery black man orders another soda. After their car crash last issue, Lady Cop has Warlord under personal surveillance in the hospital. When he does wake up later on, she questions him, but he pulls the Call My Lawyer card by telling her this is superhero business, and she should call Superman. Manhunter and the readers have finally caught up with Abdul Smith, the one Green Team member we have not seen since issue 2, I believe, but Abdul is ready for Manhunter and, shoot him's, and shoots him in the chest before managing to escape out of a high rise window, plunging into the pool down below. Throwing up the middle finger at Manhunter, he tells him to hunt this. <laughs> Orion of the New Gods has to admit to his fathers, High Father and Darkseid, that he has failed to acquire the body of good looks. Leading the two rulers to come up with a momentary plan to release stored up energy trapped in Apocalypse from their very first battle and aiming it towards New Genesis and High Father in order to create a Tower of Light to replace Atlas and hopefully hold up the sky. Which leaves Orion on Earth to deal with his personal shame. It turns out Non-Fat of the Dingbats didn't shoot an unconscious Starman last issue. And now back at their home, he still can't shoot him, not until Starman wakes up and and they manage to get some info from him. And by the way, Crunch has purchased more grapes. Eventually Starman does wake up by the boys um by the noise of the boys who are too busy arguing over video games, and of course they don't notice this. Abdul starts to realize that while he's on the run, his accounts are frozen, he has no money, his phone gets shut off in the middle of a conversation with the Commodore, and he can't even get back into the Green Team building. And that last part is witnessed by Jack Ryder. Lady Cop visits the morgue for any new info on the bodies of Good Looks and Atlas. None of what's happening is adding up for her. But she gets a new break when, back at her office, she's inspecting the Helmet of Fate that was in the possession of Warlord, and on the back is a small plaque that reads, The Green Team. Abdul Smith, desperate and broke, turns to the only people he thinks can help him, finally introducing the readers to the boogeymen of the story, the Outsiders. And there seems to be some connection between Abdul and this group of rogues. And on the final page wrap-up, just as Jack Ryder is going to question the Commodore about the scene he witnessed with Abdul, Jack is informed that he's number one in his time slot, and that Abdul was let go from the Green Team for reports of improprieties. All while Highfather is holding up the sky like a new atlas, Orion is quite literally finally getting up off his ass after his defeat. Starman is leaving or getting ready to walk in on the Dingbats who are playing video games. Lady Cop is getting info on the Green Team, and Abdul is finally at rest in the Outsiders' secret headquarters. And then the last panel, the helmet, tells us all of our players had taken the stage, all were now revealed. But was it too late for a true happily ever after? General thoughts for this issue? I thought it was fine. I thought it was a fine issue. We get the outsiders finally, you know, they enter the picture, which is fun. We finally get to see Abdul. Uh, seeing the High Fathers, High Father and Dark Side working together to create a temporary solution to a problem that the people on Earth are still unaware of. We have this looming threat and nobody knows about it. It's it's almost like how in Game of Thrones, you know, everyone is playing the game, but then Jon Snow arrives and says, look, we got something bigger to worry about here. So let's go. Um, The artwork is decent. I think this is another issue where the art matches the pace of the book which is really heavy dialogue in this issue. You know, there's a lot of stuff that has to be explained. We have to move through certain situations, even though there are some action sequences. Um, I think the page where Abdul lunges at the bank clerk for not being able to withdraw money, that's a great sequence of panels. Take a look at the security guard in the background on that page. Um And I also like how this issue, this is the one strength of this issue, it very much feels like the end of Act 1. So Tom King talked about uh, seeing into the woods, and how all of those characters uh, from all of those fairy tales and fables, whenever they would go into the woods, it would always be the same woods. So all those characters were connected. Same thing like Fables the comic book, right? Um so if he's talking about that, if he's talking about how you know, a musical sort of inspired this, when I read this issue I was like, yeah, this this feels like okay, all of the characters are here. We finally get the reveal of the outsiders after all of these many issues. And it feels like, okay, that's, this is like a reveal, right? They've been branded as terrorists, as a freak organization. And yet here they are in this really great double page spread. And they are just, you know, a bunch of kids hanging out in a room just like the the dingbats would, or just like the green team when they were playing cards, you know, So even though the Commodore was trying to turn them into this thing to fear irrationally, here they are, ready to help out a member of the Green Team, uh, and apparently someone they know, which leads to the next bit um, here whenever I do these Danger Street segments, where I try to connect my speculations after reading first issue special to what I thought maybe Tom King could do with Danger Street. And it all goes to those panels where we see the Helmet of Fate narrating the story. And there's a man that walked in and put down the bag and ordered a Coke. And he has this plaid shirt and he looks like he has black skin. And it's like, who is that? Who is that? I think I've been saying it's it could be Abdul. I think it could also probably be non-fat. He orders another soda. And I went through all the issues and I said, wait a minute. Didn't one of the Dingbats have a thing for soda? Was it Nonfat that wanted soda? Um, And I couldn't find it. But you know what? Now that I think about it, I didn't go back to First Issue Special, and that's really where I should go. I should go back to the Dingbats issue and see if Nonfat was drinking a soda. I know he he was eating a hot dog. But anyway, so is it Abdul? Is it Nonfat? You know, they keep talking about this spell to resurrect good looks. And the only way I could see them do that is possibly with time travel. So um, so yeah, so I was originally thinking it's Abdul. Now I'm starting to think it might be non-fat. And maybe he not only does this to restore good looks, but maybe there's something in the other speculation that I had about First Issue Special about how a lot of these youth groups felt like they had someone behind them. In the text page for the green team, it was stated that someone named P. T. Green, I think it was, he put the green team together. Somebody trained the ding bats, you know, who was behind the outsiders? I think that was told in the story, but I can't remember. So maybe, maybe non fat with the helmet does everything, right? Maybe he's the one who informed the early manhunters that they needed to look out for a great evil and that the sky is falling because he would know about the Green Team, you know, both Abdul and Nonfat would. Maybe he's the one that put together all of these youth groups, you know. Now, I know we'll find out the origin of these kid groups in issue number eight, but in when I was reading issue six, this was what was going on in my brain. Maybe he's the one that unfortunately, killed those roommates so that Lady Cop would become a cop, you know? Maybe he's the one who sabotaged Warlord's plane, and that's how he wound up in Skartaris. Maybe he's the one that sabotaged Starman's spaceship. That's why he crash-landed in New York, and maybe even in Harlem, I think. Maybe he's the one that killed Codename Assassin's sister, so that would put Codename on the course that he was on. I mean, there's all this stuff... From first issue special that anybody could have done, and all this origin secret stuff, all this, all these questions, you know. Um, maybe he did it. Maybe he's the one who did it. So, um, so that's my speculation as of issue six. Now, obviously, that's going to change once I go through and uh, up to issue eight, and then I'm going to have some other thoughts now that I've read up to issue ten. But for now, we'll go with that. All right, let's go into some other Danger Street stuff. There's not much to go over. This issue is fairly straightforward, I think, as you read it. And then there are a few major scenes that I think are, are, you know, they're worth covering. So Manhunter comes for Abdul. And as I mentioned, we haven't seen him since issue number two. And he has a big gun. And, you know, just something in my head went, oh, Abdul has a gun, Non-Fat had a gun last issue. You know, I keep talking about how there might be some connection between those two characters. And uh, there's a couple things I like that Abdul says. He says he understands why, why Cecil and Houston were killed. They were soft. But Abdul didn't get his money by spending a second of his life looking for shit. And that's a nice little reflection of how he came from maybe a different background than the other members of the Green Team, which is um, an origin story. Uh, you know, when you read first issue special, it, it, it it's going to change once we get to issue number eight, you know. But then again, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe it could still work with what they did in first issue special, but I'll get there when I get there. So then Abdul goes to the Outsiders to hide out, which made me think, wait a minute, then he knew where the Outsiders were. He knew all the time. Maybe all the Green Team members knew all the time. I've been saying that the Commodore has been spouting this Outsider terrorism thing, knowing that it was bullshit, knowing that it was fake, putting, you know, making a boogeyman... For Jack Ryder to scare people with, you know, and here we have witnessed that, yeah, everybody knew it. Abdul knew it, right? Because he's going to their home base. And he even says, it's the Commodore. He killed Houston and Cecil. I'm next. Now, when Manhunter was trying, was going after JP Houston, JP was blaming it on the outsiders. So I'm not quite sure, maybe who knows, but, um, Clearly, Abdul knows something, and there is some connection here. Mary says that, you know, oh, so when he wants to get into the headquarters, he says, look, I have money, which he doesn't. And then Mary says, yeah, you got money from stealing it from us. So I don't know what that means. And he says, please, Mary, for what we have been together, please let me in. So there it is. There's that connection, you know, um, between these two teams. And we're going to see more of that once we get to issue number eight. Now, if it turns out that Abdul is the one with the Dr. Fate helmet, at the beginning of every issue, that will make sense with uh, why he knows the Outsiders and maybe, um, you know, uh, he's the one that made all of this happen between the two teams. If it's non-FAT... Uh, trying to go back in time and make things, uh, you know, well again, um, he might have gotten the idea from Starman, because that's the whole thing Starman wants to do. He wants to take the helmet, restore good looks, and that might be why Nonfat does what he does, but maybe he thinks in bigger terms and... and tries to get everybody in the right place where they need to be. Here's a crazy thought I'm just thinking now. Wouldn't it be interesting if by the end of Danger Street, whoever is the one who has the Helmet of Fate, he goes back and makes all these things happen, but puts them into where they all are in First Issue Special. So instead of this being inspired by First Issue Special... Those stories happen first, Danger Street happened second. I could see Tom King doing a thing where it's like, no, Danger Street happened first. And all of these characters are swearing and cr- and killing people and kids are being killed, and there are assassins. This is way too dark, way too heavy. Metamorphos dead. All these other people are dead. Let's use the helmet of fate and put them back into better days, better moments, more you know, happier. Bronze Age DC, where things can be wacky and zany and not so serious. So then maybe by the end of Danger Street, all of these characters get spread back into the 13 issues of First Issue Special, and they're not connected, and everybody's safe and happy again. And that could be very trippy, but that could be very wild, and that might play into the whole Into the Woods theme. I don't know. Um... I do like that we get the Outsiders, they're all here, Lizard Johnny, Mighty Mary, Harry Larry in the vehicle, Billy the Big Head Boy, Doc Scary, and in the back, Amazing Ronnie. Now, if you don't know First Issue Special, I'm not sure how this reveal works, you know? It worked for me because I've been wanting to see them for a while. Um, I don't know. I don't know how that works if you don't... Well, I mean, this whole series about is about D-list characters, J-list characters, Z-list characters in the DC universe. So, I don't know how any of it works if you don't have, you know, the smallest sort of idea of who they all are. But, um, you know, it's an interesting notion. I certainly liked it, and I thought it spoke to, um, the feel of this issue having kind of like an act break... And the helmet calls them rogues. So we have princes, we have a princess lady cop, we have um, dragons, we have ogres, we have knights, we have monsters, etc., etc. There's a whole list I've been keeping. One of the other big scenes is Orion coming to Darkseid and High Father begging forgiveness. I talked about this in the synopsis. Darkseid is about, like, it feels like he's ready to give up, but High Father mentions that they have a plan, and he asks Orion, sure, he can save the universe, but will he? And Orion has doubt. It seems like the High Fathers have doubt. And it also feels like, um, kind of like Manhunter, kind of like Warlord, kind of like um Jack Ryder and Mr. Miracle and Vision and Adam Strange, like. A lot of Tom King's characters seem to always have this task before them. And then the fun thing to write about them is, can they actually go through with it? And what are their weaknesses and their strengths? And what do they have to overcome? And a lot of them have feet of clay. And part of the journey is to see how they rise above this. And most of the times they do rise above it but it's through dumb luck so uh you know it's good. It feels like he's exploring that a little bit with Orion now i thought the high fathers were going to merge but of course that's not what they did instead they um they merge energies i guess you could say and um i do wonder if Where we see the new gods in this issue, does that mean that this takes place after his Mr. Miracle story? I think the answer is yes. It almost feels like there's a continuation between the two stories, because before Darkseid releases the energy towards New Genesis, he asks Highfather, when did you last feel pain? And Highfather says, when Scott left. Now, Does that mean when Scott left New Genesis back in the Kirby days? Or did something happen during the King's run that he's referencing? I'm not sure. Um, We have some other smaller bits here. When Warlord wakes up, Lady Cop tells him that people are looking for him. People are looking for Travis Morgan ever since he went AWOL and went missing with an F-22 Raptor. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting spin on his origin story, right? I don't know if they ever touched on that in DC Continuity, that even though he got sucked into Skartaris, everybody up here would be like, where did he go? He's missing. He's MIA. But she's saying that he's absent without leave, um, making it sound like they were looking for him. So that was kind of cool. Is it actually possible to put... Uh, A small plaque on the back of the helmet of fate. I mean, it's a magical helmet. I don't know how the green team managed to do that. Um, The scene with Lady Cop in the coroner's office, the morgue, that was, you know, that was interesting. Um, She does know that there were diamonds at the scene of this, at the crime, scene of the crime. That is Metamorpho's body. She talks about how she needs a better story to make this all make sense. She has two bodies, a superhero and an army guy. What brings them together? And I thought, you know, that felt like Tom King uh, kind of putting that out into the universe. Like, okay, here's what I got. Here's where I am, where I am at issue six. Let's see how it all wraps up. And then uh, the final page where Jack is talking or wants to talk to the Commodore about seeing Abdul being kicked out. But then Commodore stops him, you know, kind of butters him up, tells him that he's number one. Um, Jack Ryder heard Abdul say that Commodore is a liar. And I again, I just keep thinking, Jack, wake up, wake up. When are you going to act smart? You know, again, that whole thing What I was talking about, the fallacy of some of these male characters, you know, it's kind of here too. Like, come on, Jack, stop being such a dupe. If I try to connect this issue with Watchmen number 6, which is something I've been trying to do with every issue just because, you know, this is my own enjoyment, um, noticing parallels, I didn't really get anything here. You could sort of say Warlord is captured, and in issue 6, that's where Warshock is in prison, as Walter Kovacs, and, you know, he goes through therapy or whatever that's called. So I, I didn't really see a lot of connections. So then let's wrap up with the cover, The Danger Street, The Cereal, by Jorge Fernandez, which has Darkseid with a big smile on his face as they are filling up his bowl with cereal and with milk. And you can see the individual cast members of Danger Street imprinted on the little kernels of cereal. And it says, With Omega-3, which reminds me of Darkseid's Omega Beams. Now, initially, I had no idea what the inspiration could possibly be behind this cover. You know, it feels wacky, just like first issue special. I mean, it's completely out of the box. This is the Dingbats of Danger Street issue, though, and I thought, okay, if you listen to their names, Good Looks, Nonfat, Crunch, Bananas, yeah, those all sound kind of like cereals or cereal descriptions, so... Maybe that was an inspiration. If you look at the kernels of cereal as they fall into the bowl, quite literally, they are falling from the sky, right? The sky is falling, and Darkseid is looking on and smiling and ready to scoop them up and eat them, and I was like, wow, in the book he's being described as a dragon, and this feels like, hmm, you know, he could could be eating all these cast of characters, he could be hoarding them... Does that speak to maybe he has some kind of ulterior motive? It is Darkseid, after all. And up to this point, he's been shown working with High Father, but who knows? Um, well, I do know because, as I mentioned, I've read up to issue 10. But initially, I wasn't quite certain about this cover. And then the alt cover is by Evan Doc Shaner, which is a group shot of the Dingbats of Danger Street looking happy. Good looks is alive. He's right at the forefront. It's colored in monochrome to reflect a simpler time. Or maybe like an old photograph and showing the dingbats when they were just out making, you know, fools of themselves and causing trouble. So, there you go. That is my look at uh, Danger Street issue number six. We are halfway through the series. I will come back next digest to talk about Danger Street issue number seven. Welcome to Comadres y Comics. Comadres y Comics is a podcast hosted by three Latina women. We highlight the Latinx presence in the comic book industry as creators, characters, and fans. Join us as we talk chisme, comics, fandom, and beer. New Comics Wednesday. New Comics Wednesday. Recommendations for the week of October 25th. Before we get to those recommendations... I did get another package from DCBS, and this package had some books from the end of September and a bunch of weeks in October, and it was a small, small pile this time around. Um, And I have a feeling it's going to continue to be small because... I'm really not getting a lot of physical anymore, you know? I think you've heard me talk about this before. Like for instance, in this shipment, everything is pretty much dealing with uh Titans or Titans-related characters, and that's kind of it. Like Cyborg number four, Nightwing 107, Tales of the Titans number three, Titans number four, World's Finest Teen Titans number four. And then I also got from Ablaze, the publisher known as Ablaze, um, Mighty Barbarians number no. six, because there was an alternate cover that was basically an homage to New Teen Titans one by George Perez, and this is by Fritz Cassis, and uh, the issue itself is by writer Michael Morrissey and artist Giuseppe Cafaro. But um, right there it is just you can look at the cover and if you know new teen titans number 1 from you know 1980 um this is a clear uh homage to it you know they this it's like not not a secret they knew that they were going to sell it like this and i had to get it and i remember when i was talking about it during i think one of the preview segment i was trying to remember who told me about this cover turns out it was mike atchison Mike Mike let me know he asked me if I was getting this cover and then once uh, I, I don't I don't think I knew at the time once I saw it I was like oh yeah I'm definitely getting that cover so everything everything Titans related the only other physical book that I get is let's see I get Justice Society of America I do get Danger Street but that's going to be ending I am getting Tom King's Wonder Woman um and then I support You know, if I know people from the old CGS days that put out comics, I try to get their issues. Um, Batman Superman, World's Finest, because that title is outstanding. I get a bunch of magazines. I decided to get the main title for Titans Beast World, but I'm not getting all the tie-ins. I'm just going to read those on the app. And then I also decided I want to get Outsiders, um uh from DC the the new series of outsiders that's coming out um by Jack Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly because everything i see of it i'm like yeah i kind of want to read that i want to hold that in my hands and read that um i'm sure i'm missing some things here and there but you know no no marvel you know um anything i read from marvel i acquire um you know I acquire. I'll just say that. <laughs> um, a lot of the image first issues you can find on their website. And I do get a lot of PDFs and previews from companies. All of this from um, the days of CGS. You know, they would send us press releases and review copies. So I try to mention that when I can. Uh, yeah, so... um other than collections and maybe some interesting graphic novels, every now and then there might be an indie project I want to support. Uh, I Oh, I still get Saga, but, you know, when does that ever come out? Yeah, this is... My DCBS shipments are getting lighter and lighter. Anyway, the other thing I got, which is also Titans-related, sort of, is back issue 147 celebrating their 20th anniversary... They began back in 2003, and on this uh, cover and in this issue, it is the George Perez tribute. And um, most of the articles are centered around Wonder Woman. The cover is Perez doing Wonder Woman, which he used for a house ad back in 1990 to celebrate the 50th issue of his Wonder Woman run. So in this issue, you get a young Perez gallery and rare art. You get 20 back issues that Perez worked on, that um, back issue polled from a bunch of contributors to point out, you know, to try to get a list of the 20 greatest back issues. You get Mindy Newell talking about working with George. A Wonder Woman oral history of George Perez and his Wonder Woman run, pulled from a whole bunch of interview quotes over the many years, which is pretty great. And it opens with a memoriam by Mr. Marv Wolfman, which he wrote for one of the San Diego Comic-Cons. It is a great tribute, and just one more loving tribute to add to the collection. And, you know, if you think about this being the 20th anniversary of Back Issue Magazine, Back Issue number one was also a George Perez cover featuring Batman versus Captain America and one of the main articles in that issue was Marv Wolfman and George Perez. I think that issue might have also touched on JLA Avengers I'm not sure because that was going on around that time so um great issue back issue 147 you know pick it up in physical you can go to tomorrow's publishing. Uh, to their website and you can get most of this stuff digitally as well they are so worth your while i don't think i've read a complete back issue just yet because there's so much information so there you go that's my dc latest dcbs package uh if i get another well i will be getting another one every month but if there's something interesting i'll talk about it and if not i'll probably skip it all right, let's go to your recommendations for this week of October 25th. Last week, I talked about DK Publishing putting out a weapons book for Marvel Universe. Well, now we have Marvel Studios Cinematic Universe, an official timeline for 50 bucks. Another coffee table book here, working with Marvel Studios to bring you the biggest, uh, to answer the biggest questions about what happened, when, where, and why, You basically follow the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe story from the Big Bang to the Blip and beyond. Um, From Distillery we have Gone by Jacques, writing and drawing a creator-owned project for the first time, they said. $8.99 for fans of Andor and Hunger Games. Distillery has had a big rollout leading up to these issues and these titles. Um... Oddly enough, I think we've only really seen a few that were solicited, and and now we're starting to see them actually hit stands. So for me, I feel like, okay, it's the follow-up that matters. You know, all these quote-unquote freshman titles, what about the next ones after that? You know, if you hook readers in, can you continue that? So we'll see. From Scout Comics, from the Chispa Imprint, which is their Latin uh, Latin and Latinx imprint. The Thirteen Origins Zopilote, which means vulture, by Hector Rodriguez and J.M. Quilar Quema. Uh, this is a series of one shot origin stories for members of The Thirteen, a group of Mexicans and Mexican Americans who discover they are chispas able to wield impossible powers. And this one feels like it's a, a legacy character, a young man discovering that he has powers, just like his great-grandfather did before him. $4.99. I'm going to try my best to read some of these, if not all of them, when I can. Hopefully they actually manage to get out. all. I'm assuming they're going to do 13. It says 13 Origins, right? Um, and we'll see. We'll see how this goes. And then from DC Comics, the third miniseries spinning out of The New Golden Age and Justice Society of America, Alan Scott, Green Lantern, written by Tim Sheridan, art by Cian Torme, $3.99. The Justice Society of America line expanding. Hopefully these miniseries do well because these characters don't get their own solo titles too often. Um, They're usually always spun into a team book. So, Alright, there you go. Those are your recommendations for the week of October 25th. Who's the black private dick that's a sex machine to all the chips? You're damn right. a man that would risk his neck for his brother man Can you dig it? Who's the cat that won't out when the days you're all about Right on They say this cat's shaft is a bad mother I'm done, my shaft He's a complicated man, but no one understands him but his woman Tying in with the opening Monday segment of this digest, I was going to use this Friday segment to point out November's upcoming birthday celebrations, but it got me thinking, wait a minute, it is Scorpio season, let's go bigger, let's think big, who else is a Scorpio? So, I compiled a list. This is a list of comic creators and comic book characters that all celebrate a birthday through Scorpio season, which is October 23rd through November 22nd. Most of this information I found online. I'm going to be honest, I didn't do a lot of verification. Unfortunately, trying to find birth dates for Marvel characters is really difficult because Google searches mix in all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff. So, unlike DC, where I used uh, the DC Super Calendars that came out in the 70s, it was really hard to find Marvel stuff. So, I have a bunch of creators, I have a whole lot of DC characters, and I don't have any Marvel characters. But, Um, This is a great list, nonetheless. So again, maybe some of these people share your birth date. This is between the dates of October 23rd and November 22nd. So we have Bob Kane, Al Feldstein, and Mindy Newell on October 24th. Terry Dotson, October 26th. On October 27th, Bernie Wrightson. The character of Blackhawk on October 28th. P. Craig Russell, October 30th, and for October 31st, Mark Chiarello, who was the editor behind Wednesday Comics and the solo title and a lot of other books that for DC that were art-driven. So then let's go to November. There's a whole bunch here. November 1st is apparently Roy Harper's birthday. Of course, Roy Harper is a Scorpio. November 2nd, Steve Ditko. November 3rd, Osama Tezuka. November 3rd, uh, for character, we have Wesley Dodds, the Sandman. November 4th, Jim Steranko. November 5th, the character of Our Man, Rex Tyler. November 6th, Dead Man, Boston Brand. November 7th, Olivier Coipel. November 8th, Tony Desuniga. November 9th, Stan Drake. November 10th, Neil Gaiman. Yes, of course, Scorpio. Also on November 10th, the twins, Lightning Lad and Lightning Lass. November 11th, Dave Cockrum. November 12th, artist Don Newton. November 14th, Carlos Pacheco. November 15th, Martin Nodell. November 16th, Darwin Cook and... Jonathan Crane, the Scarecrow. November 17th, Ed Brubaker and Cullen Bunn. November 18th, Mr. Alan Moore. Yes, I think I knew that. November 19th, Terry Moore and also Steve Lytle. November 20th, Guy Davis, Jill Thompson, Ed Bennis, Chester Gould, Ryan Hughes, and myself. (laughs) November 21st, Commandy November 22nd, Roy Thomas. And I'm going to end it with another Scorpio um, that I didn't know. And this birthday changes. It changes if it's pre-crisis DC. It changes if it's post-crisis. It changes if it's post-zero hour. But apparently Dick Grayson was born on November 11th. That's the pre-crisis version the version of Dick Grayson prior to 1986. For post-crisis, they moved his birthday to be a week before Halloween in October. Um, So I guess that could still be Scorpio, an October Scorpio, depending on when that was. And then post-Zero Hour, and this kind of makes sense... They moved his birthday to the first day of spring or March 20th. So I like to think, you know, when he was originally conceived, they gave him, uh, you know, or I should say the first version of Dick Grayson leading all the way up to the crisis. They were like, yeah, he's a Scorpio. And I love that. I love that. He's my favorite character. It makes sense. Um, You know, I can see why all of these things would be connected. So there's your list. There's your list of comic book creators and comic book characters who are also Scorpios. So you can go ahead and celebrate them through uh, the end of October and through the month of November. All right, send me your email, peter at the Go visit the Daily Rios website and Instagram. Go visit uh, me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Help me to get my um, engagement back up on that dreadful sight. Uh, review me on your favorite podcast catcher. Send me your book club recommendations. Send me your promo. Send me your audio talkback clips. I'm talking to you, Matt Williams, because I think I, I think you have one that you said you wanted to do. Uh, this has been The Daily Rios, episode 643 for Saturday, October 28th, 2023. Talk to you soon. Hey, where the hell are you going, chef? To get laid. Where the hell are you going? 哈哈哈哈 <laughs>